Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. So welcome to Anachronismo, the history podcast that looks at weird stuff in history and then makes jokes about it. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And this week, we are going to be talking about... The U.S. Army's Camel Corps. And Victoria Woodhull, also known as Mrs. Satan, the first woman to run for president. And is it the first woman to be referred to as Mrs. Satan? Almost certainly not. Can you tell me her name again? Victoria Woodhull. Oh, so I've heard of Victoria Woodhull, but I have not heard of her as Mrs. Satan. Yes, well, you will tonight. Okay. Depends on which history books you read. I think and mine probably came from from a bit more of a, of a feminist perspective, probably, than if someone called her Mrs. Satan. Well, it was something her opponents called her. All right. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There's a great biography about her called The Life of Mrs. Satan. <laughs> Oh, that's a great title. Can't get much better than the life I, that, of Mr. That, Satan. Yeah, I mean, that is a title that catches your eye. It pops. So I know you hear the word camel and you think the United States. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. One hump, United States. Two humps, United States and Guam. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, camels are not native to the United States. And the very... Um, creatively thinking, U.S. Army Lieutenant George H. Crossman had that thought that there should be camels in the United States. Because in the 1830s, the United States was expanding westward. And as you probably know, the southwest of the United States is very arid, has a rough terrain, tough climate. It was a rough and tough land. So settlers and pioneers were having a tough time getting across. There wasn't great ways to get supplies and people out for the far western territories. So U.S. Army Lieutenant George H. Crossman had the fantastic idea that we should import some camels because they can carry a lot of stuff. They don't need to drink water very often, which is good for the arid landscape. And they're just basically hardy and they uh, have good feet to go Mm. over rough terrain. Of all the reasons for like importing species, this is the most... Practical sounding one. We'll see how it goes, but it yeah. was far more than the whole sparrows into the park to make it look more Shakespearean. <laughs> or squirrels into cities because they're so darn cute. Mm-hmm. This one is one where it's like, everyone had such good ideas. And, and then, the camels just weren't buying it. You know, just life got in the way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. You know? um, what aspect of life got in the way? War. Right. Huh. Good God. What is it good for? Stopping camels. Okay. <laughs> so it was a war against the camels. The secret war. It was not a war against camels. I'm well, getting, we're getting flaming very ahead lips of the album Ayoshima and the war against camels. <laughs> this guy who had the idea in um, 1836 was promptly ignored for decades. No. With such See, a winning sounded, idea? It sounds so rational, right? Like we yeah. we know of this animal mm-hmm. that would be good for this and then uh no yeah. one we know no this animal that thrives in transportation of man and cargo across deserts, and we don't have any in our deserts. Let's bring them in. <laughs> this ornery, large, deformed horse <laughs> that lives in Egypt. We should get it here. 
even knowing about that some of the dangers of like introducing foreign species, I'm like 100% behind this idea. I wouldn't mind wild camels around these parts. Let's do it. Let's, Let's get some get camels. Some camels. Yeah, because yeah. northeastern United States is not the uh, the the climate that they would be beneficial for. Let's no. get some camel skeletons. Yeah. Now here's my question: Do the humps have bones? No. I'm pretty sure the humps do not have bones. How can you tell it's a camel skeleton? Uh, oh, leg that's a height. Good question. Leg Hoofs? height. <laughs> okay. Camels have feet, so we can't uh, tell if they're camels by the hoofs. So they, they will have clearly feet. be Foot bones. Then. Okay. Wow. They will clearly be. <laughs> Carrying signs that says, help me, I'm a camel. Skull uh, structure? I really want hump bones. I'm there sorry. There are so many other hump ways bones. to identify a camel. Hump bones. <sighs> I mean, we'll probably bury all the dead camels in the, the same spot. So, Do the hump bones look like rib cages or are they like drumsticks? That's there, my question for tonight. There are no oh. hump bones. <laughs> okay. But if there were hump bones, and I'm not saying that there aren't hump bones, would they be more like drumsticks or rib cages? Drumsticks. I was going to go rib cage. See, it's contentious. Mm. How rigid are those humps? I'm pulling well, up a picture right okay. now of a so camel for, skeleton. So for a drumstick, right? A hump stick, it's, please. <laughs> fine, a hump stick. The big mass of muscle at the top mm-hmm. is where it connects to the body. So the hump part is topmost unattached to the body, so mm. there wouldn't be so much muscle there. I think the shape is wrong for a drumstick-like hump. I'm sorry to crush your spirits like this, Max, with the... Nola's holding up a picture of a camel, and you can clearly see hump bones on its back. It's got a very cute little tail, though. And the bones are very clearly actually there for the humps, and they're labeled as hump bones. Max, give it up, man. I I, I will never. Just give it up, man. Never. So, Jackie, tell us more about these boned camels. Uh, so in 1847, Henry C. Wayne, another camel enthusiast, took up the idea again and tried to convince the army that camels would be a good uh, transportation option for the American Southwest. I, I got to say, though, for for this entire story not being about the great secret camel war, there's a lot of military people with the advice of we should get camels. We should bring camels into the country. So... I guess I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. Um, the only times camels were used for war in the United States, it was actually civilians. The army wasn't involved. They used camels to kill civilians? Or they declared C- war on civilian camels? No, civilians used camels to fight other people. Well, that's what I expected, but not what I hoped. <laughs> um, in 1847, Henry C. Wayne... Another camel enthusiast took up the idea of bringing camels to the army, and he found a kindred spirit in Senator Jefferson Davis of Mississippi. The the president of the Confederacy loved camels? Yes. Whoa! Mm -hmm. Did you find out why these people were such enthusiasts for camels? I don't know. The article that I read had many intriguing statements that it didn't... Back up it didn't it. back up very much. It didn't explain why these people were camel enthusiasts. I think they were just like, oh, we got a problem, and this animal is good in that problem. I like to think they had little camel figurines that they made kiss. They probably had that, too. ABK, always be kissing. Camels. That's probably how all the camel enthusiasts said hello. They would pull out their little figures, and they'd do a little camel kiss. You can't see it, viewers, but Jackie and I both pretended to pull out a little camel figurine and moved our hands together and made our imaginary camel figurines kiss. It was cute. So, following the pattern... My little camel figurine is just off by his lonesome, just looking longingly. Into a mirror, kissing the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sad. So, 
The calls for the use of camels were ignored until Jefferson Davis became the Secretary of War in 1853, and he got to have a lot more say in what the army did as the Secretary of War. The door swung <laughs> shut behind him, and immediately he went over to his desk and just wrote up a proposal for camels. Just rubber-stamped it, threw it out the window, and just waited. I like to imagine he just leads this camel like into his like whatever cabinet or whatever his staff is. And, like, his head staff is like, this is ridiculous. You, you have a camel in here. It's like, what is this camel doing? He's my assistant. But but I'm your assistant. I'm your assistant, Jeffrey Davis. Your services will no longer be required. And the camel pulls out a gun and shoots him in the head. Yep. Guys, I have so much story left. <laughs> please, please, let's just move on. Okay. I'm sorry. There's so much more to go. Let's do this. Let's go. Yeah. Oh, man. So, um, in 1854, he requested camels. <laughs> so, Davis then appoints Wayne to be the head of the camel acquisition expedition. Wayne got into the Navy boat USS Supply, and he took it across the Atlantic Ocean. He stopped in Italy first because he needed to, they decided to make this a useful trip, so he dropped off supplies that they were that they wanted to bring over to Europe. So he dropped some supplies off in Italy. The boat met up with Wayne, who was talking to zookeepers in London to get their opinion on how to take care of camels. Um, and apparently camels were used in the Crimea War? Crimean. Crimean. Crimean War. So he was getting advice from people who were involved in that. And then they went on a tour of the Mediterranean Middle East area. Um, and they landed in the Gulf of Tunis, and then over five months, they picked up all different types of camels in Malta, Greece, Turkey, and Egypt. So they picked up 33 camels in total of several different types. And guess how many camels they had when they landed back in Texas? 33. Mm, Waiting. 18. 34! Oh. oh, I had a much more pessimistic view on which, how which two camels fell in love and had a baby on the boat oh, at least seven oh, wait. so they they <laughs> so left with 33 came back with 34 and seven were born on the ship so there were so, it wasn't a perfect smooth voyage so no 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 at least six the voyage died. was really very difficult and it took three months when it usually doesn't take that long to get across so it was a very tough time one camel died six calves were born but only two calves survived jeffrey davis is at home just being jefferson davis jefferson oh my god jefferson davis is just at home being like i told those fools we needed to use humpback whales instead of ships this is the worst thing i've ever been responsible for or will ever be (laughs) responsible for god this is the darkest chapter in jefferson davis life Buck up, Jefferson. It's all uphill from here. Oh, man. So Wayne and Davis had a budget of $30,000 to get these camels and then test them for use as uh, military transport. And so they got the camels. It shook out to be about $250 per camel. So this is a pretty good deal. That's a cheap camel. Yeah. And they're just apparently just, you know... Populating all the way back on the boat ride, so. Now, was one of those camels Joe Cool's great-great-great-great-grand camel? It's possible. I choose to believe it. It's very possible. Joe Cool is the mascot for camel cigarettes. I know. Okay. The the cartoon. Yeah. The cartoon camel. That's real. So they land in Texas. 
And it's off to the races. We're about to start testing these camels for use as military transport. So the first test they do is that they make camels face off against mules. A team of six mules versus a team of six camels to pull oats from 60 miles outside of San Antonio to San Antonio and back. Oh, I thought this was going to be another, like, Florentine kick game situation, <laughs> but with camels versus uh, mules. <laughs> and I'm, I've got to admit, I'm a little disappointed that it's not a blood sport. Yeah, At the when, same time, relieved. When you said versus, I was expecting something far more. <laughs> Just like, all right, guys. Guys, the camels demolished the mules. The camels Physically? Took- no, did it, turn, did, did it turn bloody? <laughs> no, it didn't turn bloody. Were there humps in the sand? No. The camels hauled 3,648 pounds of oats in two days to San Antonio, while the, the mules only took a measly 1,800 pounds of oats, and they took five days. And that's Guys, the camels are so good at this. Mm-hmm. And that's why we no longer have mules. Mm-hmm. So the home base you for the camels. You what they were like, Noel? Those majestic mules, with their short, squat natures and their really loud braying. They must have been beautiful. Hee haw, hee haw! Their majestic cries, shaking the afternoon lull. Hee haw! I can picture it now. Hee haw! It's almost like there's a braying mule in this room, sitting, sitting to my right. There could be a jackass. Hee-haw. In here. So their home base is called <laughs> Cape Verde. Sorry, Camp Verde. And that was where the, uh, the Camel Corps, as they were informally called, would reside for the duration of the camel tests. So in the 1850s, they had a series of surveying expeditions that they took the camels on just to see see what it was like, see if the camels were good at it. And they were. The toughest part of getting used to the camels, according to the men who were on these expeditions, was their smell. Yeah, mm-hmm. camels stank like old carpets and shit. I don't know what they smell like. Old carpets and shit. Okay. All right. I'll take your advice. I mean, your recommendation? <laughs> no, it's, it's, observation. Yeah. Your observation. So another intriguing line from, from this article that doesn't really go much further to justify it is, although camels really do not smell any worse than horses, mules, or unwashed men, their smell was different and had a tendency to frighten horses unfamiliar with the odor. <laughs> um, camels can also be deadly and they spit cut when they're annoyed. Oh, yeah. Deadly accuracy. It's- I have a dumb story that I could tell about my childhood. Did you have a spitting contest with a camel? Nope. This is far just... This is just a dumb little uh, part of my childhood. Go is on. That I would get zoo books and got them for like a couple of years. Max oh, is just I fascinated want, with that baby. I wanted zoo books so bad. Oh, they were great. They were terrific. But, like, you know, I would kind of, like, for some of the books I would, like, read into the article, like, if it was, like, an animal I found interesting. Other ones I was, like, more just fascinated in the pictures and stuff. You know, they would do some of the skeleton things, and I did not remember whether or not they had uh, their homes had bones. (laughs) I'm so sorry. They do. But Camels was one of the ones that I didn't read as much about, like, the articles and the blurbs I had. I was just more looking at, like, all the desert imagery and the the camels in them. So they had this one illustration of a camel, uh, like, eating someone's shirt because they, like, apparently an issue that they can have is that they're used for transportation, but, like, if they can get 
a hold of certain materials or some other stuff that they'll care, they'll just eat it. Yeah. You know? It's like how a giraffe, if you're wearing a green shirt, will try to eat your shirt. What? Yeah. Mm. It's hilarious. Every time. So I saw this picture and it was like literally a camel just chewing a shirt and this guy looking like the person's owner, like looking around and be like, no. And I thought that camels ate people. <laughs> I thought that they used them as transportation, but in a very uh, risky like, manner. Don't, don't get near them. <laughs> don't get near those camels. They'll eat you if you get too close with her. Their big square teeth will just mash your skin and meat and muscle to nothingness. So I was dumb. Still am in many ways, but that was just like it was like much, much later that I think I read through the books and I was just like, oh, oh, no, 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 you are, you are not right in that. that. Yeah, when you were 23, you finally finished reading that zoo book. Yep. And I was like, man, you were a far dumber person at 20. Uh, it's so funny. Uh, Christ, no. Anecdotes. So in 1857, a whole new shipment of camels comes in because the army also wouldn't let them breed the camels. They were like, we need to find out if they're useful before we breed camels. So um, they were like, well, the camels were such a good deal. Let's just buy some more camels while we can. (laughs) So that's what they did. But a mere two months after the second shipment of camels came in, James Buchanan becomes president and the people who were pro-camel are no longer in their positions in the administration. (laughs) So the camels kind of wallow. That's hippopotami. (laughs) They kind of wallow until the new Secretary of War, Floyd, decides to continue the experiments. Because they had a lot of corroborating evidence that it would be good to have camels in the... Probably because they just needed to justify it for the budget. Really? That's what it was. They were like, we did two overseas trips. We picked up a bunch of camels. We set up a camel caravanistry, which was apparently what you call where you keep a caravan of camels. Mm-hmm. They basically just were like, we need to finish these tests, otherwise why the heck did we do any of this? And it also coincided with a time where a bunch of citizens petitioned the United States to build another road in the Southwest. So this guy named Beale is the person who's supposed to survey the land for this road, and he accepts the position, except Floyd didn't tell him that as part of the deal, he had to take 44 camels with him and just test how good they were on this pretty long surveying trip. And he was very against the camels. <laughs> he was not happy, but he finally assented to taking these camels. And at first, the camels were such a drag. But then they started outpacing all the horses, all the mules, all the other things. It turns out the camels just hadn't been exercising because... They weren't up to anything because people were just like, oh, why do we have camels? But once they were walking around, they started getting much faster and they like built up their strength and they were doing much better than all the other pack animals. Hooray. And Beale was a changed man. He was immediately pro-camel and all of his reports were, yes, get more camels. <laughs> get more camels. They're great. For the love of God, we need more camels. Because they don't need water as much. They don't freak out if they don't get to drink water for three days like mules and horses do. Mm -hmm. Because they got lost and ended up in a canyon. They ended up having to just turn around and leave after walking through it for three days. And the other animals were freaking out, obviously, because they didn't have any food or water for three days. But the camels were cool and collected. We're already (laughs) dead inside. (laughs) We'll be fine. 
So they finally get to California at the end of where this road was supposed to be. And the army says, okay, well, bring them back to Texas. And Beale says, mm, I don't really want to. Why don't we just keep them at the farm of my business partner, Mr. Bishop? Because, uh, you know, there might be some threats from the Mormons or something. You know, we'll just leave them here. Those Mormons want finger-licking hump meat. <laughs> It read to me like it was a trick for his business partner, Bishop, to just use camels on his property. You're probably right. I, it's probably a long con with camels. Mm -hmm. But this is where they were used in war because uh, Mojave Indians uh, attacked the area mm. and Bishop and another and a bunch of civilians mounted camels and uh, fought them off. So Awesome. The only use of camels in warfare in the United States was done by civilians. <laughs> those Mojave must have just been like, what the fuck is... What did they do to those horses? <laughs> yeah, it sounds terrifying. They can do the same to us. Oh, my God. Retreat. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they all just retreated because that's what routed means, right? You just, like, run and scare them off, kind yep. of. So that's what happened. It would have taken less knowledge and facts and just the, you know, overall presence of camels than myself to assume that they could eat people. So yeah, they might have. I would that be too. scared. Of those meat-eating camels. They keep the bones of the people they eat in their humps. That's where the hump bone comes from. Oh yeah. Oh. Not attached to the rest of the skeleton, but there are mm -hmm. bones in there. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. why we could never decide if they were drumstick or ribs, like mm -hmm. because it's just a bunch of different bones. In depends there. what they eat. Fragments of bones in there. Yeah. <laughs> if they just eat like a bunch of legs, it's gonna look like a drumstick. But if they eat someone's whole rib cage, it's gonna look like a rib cage. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, what if they eat camels, other camels? <laughs> then what would it be? That's next? where new camels come from. Oh. That's where baby camels come from, from the hump. Yeah, I've learned so much today. They, once they have enough bones in there, they assemble them into a new baby camel. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's science fact. <laughs> that's adorable and terrifying. Yep. I mean, it's not so different. You make a baby with nutrients in your body that yeah, you get from and, what you eat. It's yeah. just a little less transformation. And from the bones of your enemies, yeah. It's more the natural formation process <laughs> rather than being like, all right, we'll stick these bones you ate to this bone you ate, and here's your baby. <laughs> it's totally unique. That's how camels were invented. So on this expedition, they were also surprised to find that camels can swim. They had no indication that camels could swim, so they just brought the biggest camel to the edge of the river and uh, just to see what it would do. And he jumped right in, and he went right through perfectly fine. So all the camels made it through. That was uh, definitely a dare. Yeah. Hey, I dare you to bring the big camel to the river. <laughs> <laughs> you might, you know, panic and stuff, but do it. Come on, yeah. coward. It's fine. But two horses and ten mules died crossing this river, and all the camels survived. Yeah. Well, they were probably still freaking out over the water. They were, the camels probably drowned them. So these camels who were still <laughs> in, in California, they started being tested as an express service. But camels are not good with speed, and a lot of camels died during this testing. So they uh, they decided that they'd stick with because they because they tripped. I don't know if they tripped. I just think they're not. I mean, they probably got pushed too hard and died. Pushed too hard and died. But I like the mental image of a camel like running like legs pinwheeling, and then it just trips <laughs> just a cloud and like of dust. <laughs> yeah, trips and like squids and cartwheels until it's like boom, and then it's like in a dune of sand, his head sticking out the side, and all the bones in this hump are just everywhere. Oh, <laughs> that last detail that was just <laughs> split open like a banana peel. A banana full of bones. Mm -hmm. The Joe Camel story. So on all these different tests, most of them were successes, except for the express service one. Because the camels were reliable. They could carry a lot of weight. They were good on tough terrain. They were good at finding water and just like staying calm. 
basically, and they can cross rivers. They sound magical and perfect for the arid and tough to live in Southwest. So why aren't there camels everywhere now? Uh, because the Civil War happened, and people, um, you know, started thinking about other things besides camels. And the camels so, were on the wrong side of history. So at <laughs> so at this point, there's a group of camels in California, and there's a group of camels in Texas. <laughs> Sorry, you're, sure. <laughs> you're little. <laughs> and the camels in Texas sort of were supporting the wrong group. Not that they knew what was going they, on, yeah. but they were a sort. Of, they sort of were. I think the camels are more. They're more like prisoners of war than anything else. Mm. I would say the That's... Confederates take over Camp Verde. And they basically just start abusing and bullying the camels because apparently the guys who took over the camp um, just didn't like them. Hey, camel, give me your lunch money. Yeah. So What's they, in that hump? <laughs> they used What's for, in that hump, camel? <laughs> what you got hidden there? They used Come them on, for hull and salt. Oh. Salt and mail. Like, it's just like not exciting stuff. Oh, These camels like... can explore the unknown and you're just going to make them carry salt around. Oh, you don't need to drink much water, huh, camel? Well, here's how some salt to carry. It's the opposite of water, just like you like, you idiot. You humped idiot. I like to imagine this situation where the Confederacy, like, takes them over and, like, they go through, like, trying to do a phasing ritual. It's like, oh, I bet you can't walk for a whole day in the desert, camel. <laughs> and, like, they start to get, like, really jealous when all these, like, things they're trying to make the camels do. It's like, oh, I bet you can't swim across that river, camel. Come on. <laughs> and then they're just like, oh. Stupid camels. <laughs> so much better than us, huh? Legally, we have to make them the head of a frat now. Ugh. Legally. <laughs> Jefferson Davis, move over. It's Ugh. camel now. All our frat leader wants to do is just mate with female camels. Ugh. I guess we gotta follow suit. It's a strict hierarchy. So, uh, the camels uh. in Texas didn't have a good time. They were mistreated, abused. Some of them were killed for fun. And the ones in California, they kind of just fell into disuse because no one was testing them because they were busy with a war. So the camels just kept getting shifted from different posts to different posts with no real purpose. Guard duty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And eventually they did a public auction and sold off the camels for $52 each. They got them for $250 and they only sold for $52. That's a wow. Only one-fifth their real value. Of course, yeah. by that point, they're basically a jalopy, you know? <laughs> all rusty. All making sounds as they go. One camel foot wheel hanging off because it's, it's all flat. Hubcaps all stolen. Camels are like cars, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. pretty, yeah, pretty yep. close. If they eat enough hubcaps, they have a car. By your rules, Max. <laughs> by your rules. And that's how the Wright brothers invented the automobile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So um, 44 camels were recovered at the end of the war, and they just ended up in circuses, giving rides to kids, being in races. Some of them ended up hauling things at mines. They were just used like pack animals or attractions. Some of them were just kind of released into the wilderness of California. And they say that the last camel died in 1934 at the age of 80. But ever since then, there have been sightings of camels. In California. Just wild. Oh, I love Who it. knows if they're founded? Oh, my God. That's wonderful. Wild-ass camels in California. Also, camels live hell of long times. Yeah, 80 years. Damn. Because yeah. these, these camels were still, like, breeding because you can't stop a camel. Can't, you no. can't. God knows I've tried. So that's the sad story. And camels story. won't wear condoms. 
You can make them try and try, but just don't really get what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the sad story of camels, which seemed like a super cool idea in the expanding west of the United States that, like many things, was cut short by war. And you would have thought they'd be used in the war since most of the guys who were very pro-camel ended up becoming Confederacy army people. You can use them as mobile cover and hide behind the hump and snipe from it. You know, they never did say how they react to, like, loud noises and things. So maybe they're easily startled Spooked. in a battlefield. But I, I feel like their their main use would have been transporting goods and supplies. There wasn't very much fighting in the southwest of the United States for the Civil War. What wonder, could have been? I wonder how they fared. Because uh, it sounds like the testing was mostly done in desert environments. But mm-hmm. I wonder how they, they would have fared in testing on, like, grasslands or, like, the southeast than, like, versus horses and mules. There would have been camel spit everywhere in a grassland. So? I wonder if they would have sunk, because they're so dense. Oh, I'm just picturing a camel slowly sinking into, into like, a field while a person just stands there, <laughs> totally bewildered on ground that is totally, like, hard enough to support human weight. And there's a camel going... Like a, like a foundering ship. I also came across a delightful painting of camels during this time that is called Horses Quenching Their Thirst, Camels Disdaining by Ernest Etienne de Francheville Narjo. I just thought that title was delightful because in the image, the camels aren't disdaining. The camels are just in the background, not drinking water. Snobs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at the picture. Okay, I'll just Listeners, it. look at this picture with in, your ear eyes. You can Google the name of the painting that I said or... You can see in the foreground, there are three horses with their heads in a river. And in the tiniest bit in the background is the silhouette of three tiny camels, not caring at all about the water. I wouldn't say they're disdaining, though. Disinterested, maybe. They they might have gotten there first and just drank their fill. The camels are too far away to decipher any sort of emotional... That camel looks disdainful, that silhouette. Hold on, yeah, I gotta say, disdain, disdain. Listeners, I'm in the minority here, but if you could... Email us. Oh my god, the cat's attacking my foot. Vote she against Noel. Vote against Noel and Max, no matter what you do. Readers, Venmo us your opinion. One dollar <laughs> means camels disdaining. Five dollars <laughs> means horses not disdaining. Quenching. Five. Ten dollars <laughs> means camels neutral. Twenty dollars. Max strips and does the next podcast nude. Yep, that's. I only do that if. $20 votes are the most ones. And our next podcast will be a live show. <laughs> will it? I don't know. That's not until like November, I thought. You could have saved the audio. So as we just hinted, listeners, we're very likely to have a live show November 3rd. Yes. Come on out November 3rd to our live show at the Democracy Center in Cambridge. Harvard's- it's the October 3rd of November. That's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, is it? Hold on, let me check. Why are you doing this to me? I was right. I had the right date. No, it's a dumb... No, I was just making a dumb joke. Like, November 3rd. It's the October 3rd of Of November. November. (laughs) It makes no sense, Jack. Okay. It's not supposed to make sense. I thought you were telling me (laughs) I I had the wrong date. I'm expressing myself. Okay. Anyway, if you want to come on down to the Democracy Center, we'd love to see you. The show's free with with a suggested donation. And if you have any fan arts or... A whole sandwich that you want to eat out of a grocery bag. We'd or love to see it. Fan fiction. Yeah. If you have Max fan- 
in like the historical settings that he set. If you have fan fiction, we will read it. No, no, no. Oh, we I might would definitely read it. Read it. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's no way you're not going to read it if someone gave you fan fiction of this. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant read it out during the show. Not during the live like, show. Oh, no. I want to vet that first. But we oh, will yeah. absolutely read it during one of the non-live shows. I will make that promise. If you send us Anachronismo fan mm. fiction, we will read it live on <laughs> recorded air. Yeah. Uh, I can't see this going anywhere, but great. Oh, I'm 100% in. Yeah. Right. Null seems hesitant, but two Null, versus one. Null's outvoted. It's fine. All right. Yeah. Just like Jackie's outvoted vis-a-vis camel. Oh God, the camels are not sustainable. They're too far away to detect any emotion. So, Max, if I'm reading this correctly, I could write anachronismo fan fiction. No, anyone who's not on the production team. Because you're not a fan. You're a producer. Cool. So I could give strong advice uh, to a fan on what to write for fan fiction, and you would have to read it absolutely on, on air. Absolutely, I would. Okay. Cool. Jackie, you I am so dumb. I am so much more on board right. for this now. Great, 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 great. So Victoria Woodhull, <laughs> also known as Mrs. Satan, had a storied and like super adventurous life. She was, as I said, the first woman to run for president. But before that... Was she a stockbroker? Yes, she was also a stockbroker, a spiritualist medium, a proponent of free love, a feminist, part of the Equal Rights Party, and and, and much, much more. Yes, I'll I'll just get to telling her cool-ass life story. Yeah. Yeah. I have the fascinating in that life, like, when the spiritualist medium and stockbroker like what parts of those lives like were those at the same time or like yes oh that's oh okay all right let's get to it so victoria woodhull (laughs) was born in 1838 in homer ohio to buck claflin and roxy claflin who johanna johnston in her 1967 biography describes as a pair of good-for-nothing opportunists a shouting, accusing, quarrelsome clan. Uh, not a glowing endorsement. Not, not. They were not great people. So Victoria, from when she was a, a little girl, had a dream that a handsome figure, Demosthenes, from ancient Greece, appeared to her in a vision and told her, "You will know wealth and fame one day. You will live in a mansion in a city surrounded by ships, and you will become a ruler of your people." Demosthenes, along with Napoleon and Josephine Bonaparte would become the three spirits that Victoria would summon during her spiritualist seances. Ooh, that sounds so cool. So I know that sounds like crazy bullshit. Yes. And in in a way it is, but in you gotta remember in the eighteen hundreds, America was in a like the group of like a huge spiritualist like thing. And Buck Claflin used his daughters as Basically, cash cows, making them perform seances and psychic readings for cash. Whether or not he actually believed in their psychic powers is up for debate, but he certainly believed in the money that people would pay them to use said psychic powers. Mm. So, Victoria, up until the age of 15, was basically a psychic for her parents to make money off of. But at the age of 15, Victoria married a doctor by the name of Canning Woodhull to escape this life. Uh, they had two children, Byron and Zulu Maud. Whew, that's a... Yep. Who grew up to be interesting people, but the marriage itself was doomed from the start. Canning turned out to be a cheater mm. and to be and a drunk. Ah. Yeah. 
So Victoria kept doing her spiritualist thing, you know, making her money as sort of a semi-independent woman. And she ended up leaving Dr. Canning Woodhall when she met Colonel James Harvey Blood during a psychic consultation in their new home in St. Louis. Hmm. Colonel Blood, which, oh my God, what a name. Yeah, it's a good um, one. Was a proponent of free love. Some say seduced her. Some say she seduced him. But either way... She ran away with him, bringing her whole family along, except for... I was going to say, even the husband? (laughs) Sorry, not except for... Including Dr. Canning. And they went across the country. Is it really running away if you bring everyone with you? Uh, I guess. Did they, like, escape debts or something? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think they just went on the road. Okay. Like the Partridge family, but with psychic readings. I guess she made a living across the country as a medium, an actress, and, uh, by some reports, part-time prostitute. They all wore matching outfits and danced together. Mm-hmm. All did psychic readings in a big room in sequin jumpsuits. The cat just attacked you again. But apparently they got run out of a lot of towns they were in. Uh, one time for running a house of assignation. What does uh, that mean? It's like a houseville repute. What, what does, does that, that mean? A brothel. What? Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. A fuck den. I guess what does know. that mean? <laughs> Whether or not that was true or was just something drummed up to get these kooky mediums and their family and their crazy ideas about free love and women's rights out of town Mm -hmm. who knows so eventually they ended up in new york surrounded by ships yes on a hills yes ships on hills and maybe ruling we'll see and there victoria met three more men who ironically helped her become a freer woman to uh you know make a life of her own and not have to depend on her husband and lover who were two different people. So the first was Commodore Cornelius Vanderbilt. Yes, of those Vanderbilts, who consulted Victoria as a medium to help him in his investments. And when her trance-induced tips, when her reports from Napoleon and Josephine Bonaparte and an ancient dead Greek worked with dividends... Spooky earnings! Spooky. I mean, she could have just been like a smart lady who's just like, yeah, this looks good. And like, yeah, Napoleon says so. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, maybe she, you know, went into a kooky dream and had a dream about, like, cows eating grass. He's like, yeah, buy cows. Who knows? Napoleon told me, you know, the guy who lost in the end. But he did pretty good up to then. Just didn't know when to sell. Yeah. But you know when to sell. When I tell you. So when her From tip- Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who just... <laughs> Stayed in the market too long. You know, in death, he's learned from his mistakes in life. Wow. Yeah, so when her uh, hot spiritual tips paid off, Vanderbilt paid her a huge sum of money, uh, which allowed Victoria and her family to open Wall Street's first female-owned brokerage firm. So she was a stockbroker who used her spiritualist powers to make a killing in the stock market. That's or so cool. a dying... So after Vanderbilt, Stephen Pearl Andrews was a publisher who uh, helped Victoria to publish her first weekly newspaper, which would end up being the first in America to print the Communist Manifesto and to express her uh, notions of free love. She would declare, yes, I am a free lover when people would come to see her. I have an inalienable, constitutional, and natural right to love whom I may, to love as long or as short a period as I can, to change that love every day if I please. Which, you know, 
in the 1860s. It's uh, radical. A hundred years before that became mainstream was uh, not well regarded. This is when Thomas Nast, the cartoonist who created the modern version of Santa Claus and the Republic Elephant, hmm. developed the, a new cartoon figure, a winged demon woman that he named Mrs. Satan. Oh, cool. And have little speech bubbles with her speeches in them. And her crazy ideas about women's emancipation and workers' rights and <laughs> having sex with people wherever you wanted, whenever you wanted. I'm going to have to look this up. It's, it's pretty good. And lastly, but not leastly, there was the politician Benjamin Butler, who introduced her to Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, who um, brought her to Congress, where she, in 1871, argued for female enfranchisement, unsuccessfully at the time, but making a big splash and getting the the idea more and more into the popular consciousness. And uh, when she met uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, in a report say at first they were like a little iffy and like, who is this woman mm-hmm. who talks to spirits but also wants women's suffrage? Like we're on board And with runs this. a newspaper mm-hmm. and is a stockbroker. Okay. Yeah, she seems like she's really cool, but also she's got this cartoon calling her Mrs. Satan. But you she know, knows someone named Colonel Blood. There's worse ones about us, you know. And who is a Santa Claus figure? This jolly fat man with a white beard? I don't know. I don't know if the women's rights movement can afford to give every child presents. But uh, once they met her and they saw her speak and they saw how people listened to her and were in the same room with her they're like fuck yes this woman's gonna be a huge asset to women's rights and they drew her in as a speaker and public figure did she ever actually apply like mediumship in any of those speeches or demonstrations to a larger public crowd uh, crowd than like to a few individuals like vanderbilt the stuff about her various mediumship kind of disappears from the narrative at this point i think it was more of like a way to get heard yeah Yeah. good quote in here for women sheltered repressed powerless the line between divine inspiration the courage of one's convictions and spirit guidance became blurred Mm -hmm. in uh, regards to the spiritualist movement and how many women used it as like a way to get their ideas heard because they came from napoleon instead of this lady but i think at the point in the women's suffrage maybe she was like it'll be counterproductive if i say napoleon has these ideas instead of me because then they'll just say that we should give ghosts the right to vote (laughs) ghost president can't be assassinated he's already dead (laughs) so she became a part of the women's movement which was at the time divided into factions uh conservative versus progressive and Victoria Woodhull was seen by many as dangerously radical, even within the women's rights movements. And in 1872, announced that she wanted to run for president mm-hmm. at the convention of the National Women's Suffrage Association, which was a meeting, fun, just a fun little tidbit, a meeting that was so combative that Susan B. Anthony had the janitor turn off the lights in order to, to bring it to a close. <laughs> Uh, it says actually snuff the light. So I'm picturing a janitor going around with one of those big, like, candle snuffers, just snuffing the candles one by one until it got darker and darker and darker. Some angry ladies behind him with their matches, like, no, you know what turns the lights off on us? Just throw them up there. Hit the candle. Burn. Hit the candle with the light. Burn that janitor. He's turning the lights off. <laughs> Quick, open the windows. Tear the walls down. Let the sun in. So to back her bid, Victoria formed the Equal Rights Party and chose as her running mate the abolitionist Frederick Douglass without actually telling Frederick Douglass anything about it. When he heard of this, Frederick Douglass simply responded, I never heard of this. <laughs> But I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. So 
you know, even then, running for president, it was a huge slog where your name was going to be dragged through the mud. You're going to be spat on. People are going to run articles about you. Uh, as Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, wrote, Whoever is set up to be president of the United States is just set up to have his character torn off from his back in shreds and to be mauled, pummeled, and covered with dirt by every filthy paper all over the country. And no woman that was not willing to be dragged through every kennel and slopped into every dirty pail of water like an old mop would ever... <laughs> Ever consent to run as a candidate? Why, it's an ordeal that kills a man. Really liked, really liked that quotation. That's very good imagery. Like an old mop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, this was the election with Ulysses H. Grant versus Horace Greeley, you know, who coined the term "Go West, Young Man," and they considered Miss Woodhill a diversion from it. And the election deteriorated into one of the most vicious in American history, according to Goldsmith's other powers. During the campaign, Woodhull's newspaper ran a scandalous story about a New York orgy and running the story. About herself? It just says about a New York orgy in my research. I don't think it was about her orgy, but running a story about it, and I think in a positive light too, because she's all about free love. Mm -hmm. Running that story led to the arrest and imprisonment of Victoria and her sister Tennessee on obscenity charges. Mm. And although she was eventually released and cleared of these charges, she spent election day in jail. So uh, even when, uh, when the election was going on, she couldn't have voted for herself for a variety of reasons. A, woman didn't have the vote yet. B, she was in jail. Did people vote for her? Did she have any write-ins? She had a few, but unfortunately, not really a great tide. Who did Frederick Douglass vote for? Doesn't say. I, I didn't I We didn't know, though. I don't know. As all good historians, we're going to speculate. Okay. All right. I think he wrote in... Victoria Woodhull, because he's like, that's a lot of moxie. And I understand moxie as a man who would go around do- giving lectures while still wanted for being a slave. I'm um, sorry, who was running? Horace Greeley and... Uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. I think that he voted for Grant. You th- I think he wouldn't have bothered voting for a ticket that he wasn't even consulted on. Because yeah. if your president doesn't consult, who's going to be the vice president? Doesn't seem like they have all that much forethought for actually doing you're right she shouldn't have taken him for granted Mm -hmm. that one was good good. yeah i approve thank you i just took my imaginary approval stamp and stamped the table stomp so uh yeah eventually she was cleared of charges and released (laughs) but the time in jail had ruined her health and uh the public didn't really want to hear much from her either after the election Mm -mm. because she was sort of seen as like a suit like kind of the way um Ralph Nader is seen now as, like, someone who distracted from the election between the candidates that people were like, these are the real candidates. Mm. Yeah. So she got ill and nearly died, and to pay her medical bills, she was forced to perform grueling speaking tours across the United States to earn enough to support her large family. The stores I found also describes her family as her large and shiftless family, but that seems unfair. That seems unfair to me. Yeah, they're probably shiftless because they have to move around all the time so she can do these speaking tours. Always shifting. Yeah. So there's one last, you know, big event in her life. So in 1877, Cornelius Vanderbilt, who helped, you know, her start her whole investment firm, died. Turns out that Victoria had a lot of letters, incriminating letters, you might say, (laughs) about the old man. Uh, You know, about some sex stuff, some crime stuff, Mm -hmm. some exploitation stuff, you know. The usual. The usual. All the things I keep in my love letters. Mm-hmm. That she had been using to blackmail him. And she used it to blackmail his heirs. Nice. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she extorted a great deal of money from them. 
and then disappeared with her family to England, where she manufactured a counterfeit family history for herself, renounced free love, and married a new rich husband, the banker John Bidolph Martin, who, uh, you know, helped her enter into a polite British society. Now, when you say she moved with her family, was her doctor husband and former... Uh, Colonel Blood? Colonel Blood with this whole... No, because oh. she, she renounced free love. But her kids were and her sister were. Okay. Yeah. Her sister, Tennessee. I, I finally found the name. See the whole family just up and both stakes and Colonel Blood is just like, all right, it's cool. This worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> so she died at the age of 88 in comfort but obscurity in 1927, seven years after American woman won the right to vote. Uh, her reputation never really recovered or was rehabilitated. Though, uh, in 1875, Elizabeth Stanton said, Victoria Woodhull has done a work for women that none of us could have done. She will be as famous as she has been infamous. That's a good statement, too. Mm-hmm. Cool lady, lived on her own terms and did some insane garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you were going to give advice and say that a ghost was actually the source, which, uh, which ghost would you choose? Ooh. Now or then? Um, I'm going to go with now. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Einstein. He, he had it all. Marketing, uh, physics, intellect, mm-hmm. imagination, looked cute in a sweater, goofy hair. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he the full package. That's a good choice. Yeah. What if they test you by giving you, like, a very tough physics question? I'll say Einstein doesn't have time for this. He's playing golf in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, damn it. <laughs> he's got us there. Yeah. Einstein said, give me more chocolate cake. You know Einstein's not a mathematician. He's an ideas guy. An ideas guy. No. I almost want to pick someone who's still alive and just be like, eh, Jimmy Carter. He's, he came to me. He's like, he's he's still alive. It's like, yeah, I know. He's very talented. <laughs> he his Ghosts spirit... can travel through time as well as metaphysical planes. Yeah, I don't know. Both of those. Why not? Yeah. They can come back from the dead. They can do anything. Or no, or he's astrally projecting to me from from uh, the top of a building he's building right now. He came back to me in horror, saying that no, stop growing peanuts; they'll grow over to destroy all of humanity. Large, eight foot tall peanuts have just destroyed humanity as we know it. Listen, listen, Jimmy Carter, listen. Hey, Jimmy Carter, you know that hot new sound you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. <laughs> oh no, the peanuts! <laughs> I'm so lost about where all of those jokes came from. Oh, oh right. I was I was picking up. I was picking it up. You got it. Yeah, we're the mind mail going on. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I would you pick. You guys got it. That's I would like. pick the still living Jimmy Carter, but doing in- insisting that it was his ghost from the future. I think I'd pick a camel ghost. Mostly because I want to know what happened after they were let go in California. I want to know. And it would come to you in that dream and just go. <laughs> Camel, camel, no, camel. If, if the camel, what, what happened? <laughs> if a camel, uh, if a camel can move in time in metaphysical planes, he can also change the language he speaks. It assumes camels are speaking language. Yes. Well, Max, you got put. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Fuck me. I guess. If you could blackmail any rich dude, who would you pick? Was it a Carnegie that she? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I would pick another old timey person who people don't like too much um jp morgan 
He was mm-hmm. not a nice guy, right? Yeah. No. Maybe I'd embezzle, uh, embezzle him. It's could, not a phrase. I could, I could blackmail JP Licks for free infinite ice cream. Ooh. Yeah, that's a much better oh, that's perspective a good one. to take on that's that. That's a good one. I'd just get so fat, but so happy. Oh, my God, no. I would do Santa Claus. <laughs> I would blackmail Santa Claus. For what? I Elf abuse? I think it would be fun, though, to, to blackmail... <laughs> Like a Gilded Age figure, just yeah. to like blackmail for the dumbest stuff. Like, I want a fountain made of clamshells. Give me that. Give me a fountain made of clamshells. But shells, gilded, only on the inside, so you never see it. I want someone <laughs> in the future to break it open by accident and discover the beautiful gold. I want a cottage. I not want... a cottage cottage, a mansion cottage that we call cottage. I want you to build me my own railroad that connects with the transcontinental railroad, but only serves me. <laughs> and I get a ticket book, and I rip it up in front of other people, and then I get on by myself. Idiots. And then That's someone right. blackmails me because I've turned into what I hate. <laughs> that would work. But not after I enjoy it for a little bit. Oh, my sorry. hypothetical was going to be, what would you want to be called if you had to be had your name dragged through the mud in a political campaign and you had to be given a name like a la like mrs satan what would you go for like what name would you actually want so it has to be derogatory in some way i do like mrs satan that's such a good one yeah ms satan i think that's better yeah that's better they don't need to know my marital state it has nothing to do with anything i'm dr satan okay it has to be derogatory in some way Mm. but still that's what you want yeah something you want but it's derogatory that's a is tough like Venn diagram of, right there it, i think <laughs> let's go for like best of a bad situation here right Best of a bad situation yeah yeah, yeah. mopey duck that's good like moby dick but mopey duck mm-hmm. that's cute it's cute it's it's descriptive and you can have like a little tattoo made mm-hmm. lower chance i've that- got it oh mean old mr ding dong man so. That's because you're pounding the pavement, knocking on them doors That's too much. Like, ding dong. Hey, vote for me. Ding dong. <laughs> mean old Mr. Ding dong man coming door to door. <laughs> I was going to say um, that given that at the time it might be hard for you to see a person live and like you might see things like through a newspaper, like a cartoon. I think it would hurt to like hurt, but be funny to be uh, like mole face. And they would draw me as, like, a person, but I have, like, hands on my mouth just going like this. Like a star-nosed mole face? Yeah, yeah, just be called mole face. And just be like, don't get near, don't listen to his words. He's trying to touch you with his weird face fingers. Mole face. <laughs> he wants us all to live underground with the peanuts and fuck those peanuts. And They're at- too little to ever take us over. And your actual political views are like, oh, we need to have uh, better irrigation and crop rotation. And like, he wants us to go oh, under the earth. Moleface <laughs> wanted us to dig up the ground so we could better irrigate our crops. Oh. He oh. can't see what's right in front of him. How typical. He's blind to the realities of political truths. Oh, Moleface believes that we should have underground transportation in our cities to deal with their ever-expanding population. If you have that, then mean old Mr. Ding Dong Man's gonna find it all too easy to come to your door and knock it down, get ding dong ding dong, and yell at you to vote for him. Mean old Mr. Ding Dong Man. <laughs> People told Moleface Man that Mr. Ding Dong Man had made him his running mate for the election, and 
Moleface probably went to, over to a wall and started feeling it with his face fingers. Meanwhile, Mopey Duck heard the news and just had this to say. Quack. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more like, quack, quack. More on this thrilling political development and next like, time. I would love to see the Mopey Duck, though, is super popular. So come up and it's like, quack. Quack. I like there's just this standing ovation, yeah. thunderous applause to the whole. This is quacking my language. Moby Duck quacks what I'm thinking. <laughs> that I'm sad and have a deep, a deep existential sadness within me. Oh, who's that at the door? It's the mean old Mr. Ding Dong Man <laughs> coming in to say his political views at this debate. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us. Just uh, out picturing two mole face people. Like, having, like, an arm wrestling competition, and they don't have, like, arms, they just have their hands. Their faces are like this, at a table, like, practically kissing as he just goes sideways. Ain't no practically about it. They're kissing. Yeah. That's how you keep the grip. What? How you keep things exciting? With my mouth fingers. Mouth finger, mole man, wrestling. <laughs> So this is what it feels like to be in a room with me. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us tonight here on Anachronismo. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please drop us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean, wherever you like. Uh, if you want to contact us, we're at itsanachronismo at gmail.com or on Twitter at, at anacpodcast. That's A-N-A-C podcast. Um, you have be- all been lovely. Uh, please come on down to our November live show if you feel like it. Uh, and we are going to see you next time here on Anachronismo. Ding dong. Hey, listen to my podcast. And Noel's just touching the microphone with his hands. Great hands.